Chapter Six of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Six. Raymond was not prepared for that silent salon peopled only by a few taciturn guests it was impossible to utter a word which was not heard in every corner of the room the dowagers who were playing cards seemed to be there for the sole purpose of embarrassing the conversation of the younger guests and raymond fancied that he could read on their stern features the secret satisfaction which old age takes in avenging itself by blocking other people's pleasure he had counted upon a less constrained tenderer interview than that of the ball and it was just the opposite this unexpected difficulty gave greater intensity to his desires more fire to his glances more animation and vivacity to the roundabout remarks he addressed to madame delmar the poor child was altogether unused to this style of attack she could not possibly defend herself because nothing was asked of her but she was forced to listen to the proffer of an ardent heart to learn how dearly she was loved and to allow herself to be encompassed by all the perils of seduction without making any resistance her embarrassment increased with raymond's boldness madame de carvajal who made some reasonably well-founded claims to wit and to whom monsieur de ramier's wit had been highly praised left the card-table to challenge him to a refined discussion concerning love into which she introduced much spanish heat and german metaphysics raymond eagerly accepted the challenge and on the pretext of answering the aunt said to the niece all that she would have refused to hear the poor young wife without a protector and exposed to so lively and skilful an assault on all sides could not muster strength to take part in that thorny discussion in vain did her aunt who was anxious to exhibit her to advantage call upon her to testify to the truth of certain subtle theories of sentiment she confessed blushingly that she knew nothing about such things and raymond intoxicated with joy to see her cheeks flush and her bosom heave swore inwardly that he would teach her indiana slept less that night than she had done for the last two or three nights as we have said she had never been in love and her heart had long been ripe for a sentiment which none of the men she had met hitherto had succeeded in arousing she had been brought up by a father of an eccentric and violent character and had never known the happiness which is derived from the affection of another person monsieur de carvajal drunk with political passions consumed by ambitious regrets had become the most cruel planter and the most disagreeable neighbor in the colonies his daughter had suffered keenly from his detestable humor but by dint of watching the constant tableau of the evils of slavery of enduring the weariness of solitude and dependence she had acquired a superficial patience proof against every trial an adorable kindliness toward her inferiors but also an iron will and an incalculable power of resistance to everything that had tended to oppress her by marrying delmar she simply changed masters 
by coming to live at Lagny, she changed her prison and the locus of her solitude. She did not love her husband, perhaps for the very reason that she was told that it was her duty to love him, and that it had become with her a sort of second nature, a principle of conduct, a law of conscience, to resist mentally every sort of moral constraint. No one had attempted to point out to her any other law than that of blind obedience. Brought up in the desert, neglected by her father, surrounded by slaves, to whom she could offer no other assistance or encouragement than her compassion and her tears, she had accustomed herself to say, A day will come when everything in my life will be changed, when I shall do good to others, when someone will love me, when I shall give my whole heart to the man who gives me his. Meanwhile, I will suffer in silence and keep my love as a reward for him who shall set me free. This liberator, this messiah, had not come. Indiana was still awaiting him. She no longer dared, it is true, to confess to herself her whole thought. She had realized under the clipped hedgerows of Lagny that thought itself was more fettered there than under the wild palms of Ile Bourbon. And when she caught herself saying, as she used to say, A day will come, a man will come, she forced that rash longing back to the depths of her heart and said to herself, Death alone will bring that day. And so she was dying. A strange malady was consuming her youth. She was without strength and unable to sleep. The doctors looked in vain for any discoverable disorder, for none existed. All her faculties were failing away in equal degree. All her organs were gradually degenerating. Her heart was burning at a slow fire. Her eyes were losing their luster. The circulation of her blood was governed entirely by excitement and fever. A few months more, and the poor captive bird would surely die. But whatever the extent of her resignation and her discouragement, the need remained the same. That silent, broken heart was still calling involuntarily to some generous, youthful heart to revivify it. The being whom she had loved most dearly hitherto was Noun, the cheery and brave companion of her tedious solitude. And the man who had manifested the greatest liking for her was her phlegmatic cousin, Sir Ralph. What food for the all-consuming activity of her thoughts! A poor girl, ignorant and neglected like herself, and an Englishman whose only passion was fox-hunting. Madame Delmar was genuinely unhappy, and the first time that she felt the burning breath of a young and passionate man enter her frigid atmosphere, the first time that a tender and caressing word delighted her ear, and quivering lips left a mark as of a red-hot iron on her hand, she thought neither of the duties that had been laid upon her, nor of the prudence that had been enjoined upon her, nor of the future that had been predicted for her. She remembered only the hateful past, her long-suffering, her despotic masters. Nor did it occur to her that the man before her might be false or fickle. She saw him as she wished him to be, as she had dreamed of him, and Raymond could easily have deceived her if he had not been sincere. 
but how could he fail to be sincere with so lovely and loving a woman what other had ever laid bare her heart to him with such candor and ingenuousness with what other had he been able to look forward to a future so captivating and so secure was she not born to love him this slave who simply awaited a sign to break her chains a word to follow him evidently heaven had made for raymond this melancholy child of ile bourbon whom no one had ever loved and who but for him must have died nevertheless a feeling of terror succeeded this all-pervading feverish joy in madame delmar's heart she thought of her quick-tempered keen-eyed vindictive husband and she was afraid not for herself for she was inured to threats but for the man who was about to undertake a battle to the death with her tyrant she knew so little of society that she transformed her life into a tragic romance a timid creature who dared not love for fear of endangering her lover's life she gave no thought to the danger of destroying herself this then was the secret of her resistance the motive of her virtue she made up her mind on the following day to avoid monsieur de ramiere that very evening there was a ball at the house of one of the leading bankers of paris madame de carvajal who being an old woman with no ties of affection was very fond of society proposed to attend with indiana but raymond was to be there and indiana determined not to go to avoid her aunt's persecution madame delmar who was never able to resist except in action pretended to assent to the plan she allowed herself to be dressed and waited until madame de carvajal was ready then she changed her ball dress for a robe de chambre seated herself in front of the fire and resolutely awaited the conflict when the old spaniard as rigid and gorgeous as a portrait by van dyke came to call her indiana declared that she was not well and did not feel that she could go out in vain did her aunt urge her to make an effort i would be only too glad to go she said but you see that i can hardly stand i should be only a trouble to you to-night go to the ball without me dear aunt i shall enjoy the thought of your pleasure go without you said madame de carvajal who was sorely distressed at the idea of having made an elaborate toilet to no purpose and who shrank from the horrors of a solitary evening why what business have i in society an old woman whom no one speaks to except to be near you what will become of me without my niece's lovely eyes to give me value your wit will fill the gap my dear aunt said indiana the marquesa de carvajal who only wanted to be urged set off at last whereupon indiana hid her face in her hands and began to weep for she had made a great sacrifice and believed that she had already blasted the attractive prospect of the day before but raymond would not have it so the first thing he saw at the ball was the old marchioness's haughty aigrette in vain did he look for indiana's white dress and black hair in her vicinity he drew near and heard her say in an undertone to another lady my niece is ill or rather she added to justify her own presence at the ball it's a mere girlish whim she wanted to be left alone in the salon with a book in her hand like a sentimental beauty can it be that she is avoiding me thought raymond he left the ball at once he hurried to the marchioness's house 
entered without speaking to the concierge, and asked the first servant that he saw, who was half asleep in the antechamber, for Madame Delmar. Madame Delmar is ill. I know it. I have come at Madame de Carvajal's request to see how she is. I will tell Madame. It is not necessary. Madame Delmar will receive me. And Raymond entered the salon unannounced. All the other servants had retired. A melancholy silence reigned in the deserted apartments. A single lamp, covered with its green silk shade, lighted the main salon dimly. Indiana's back was turned to the door. She was completely hidden in the depths of a huge easy-chair, sadly watching the burning logs, as on the evening when Raymond entered the park of Lagny over the wall. Sadder now, for her former undefined sufferings, aimless desires, had given place to a fleeting joy, a gleam of happiness that was not for her. Raymond, his feet encased in dancing shoes, approached noiselessly over the soft, heavy carpet. He saw that she was weeping, and when she turned her head, she found him at her feet, taking forcible possession of her hands, which she struggled in vain to withdraw from his clasp. Then, I agree, she was overjoyed beyond words to find that her scheme of resistance had failed. She felt that she passionately loved this man who paid no heed to obstacles, and who had brought happiness to her in spite of her efforts. She blessed heaven for rejecting her sacrifice, and instead of scolding Raymond, she was very near thanking him. As for him, he knew already that she loved him. He needed not to see the joy that shone through her tears to realize that he was master, and that he could venture. He gave her no time to question him, but changing roles with her, vouchsafing no explanation of his unlooked-for presence, and no apology intended to make him seem less guilty than he was, he said, "'You are weeping, Indiana. Why do you weep? I insist upon knowing.' She started when he called her by her name, but there was additional joy in the surprise which that audacity caused her. "'Why do you ask?' she said. I must not tell you. Well, I know, Indiana, I know your whole history, your whole life. Nothing that concerns you is unknown to me, because nothing that concerns you is indifferent to me. I resolve to know everything about you, and I have learned nothing that was not revealed to me during the brief moment that I passed under your roof, when I was brought all crushed and bleeding to your feet and your husband was angry to see you, so lovely and so kind, support me with your soft arms, and pour balm upon my wounds with your sweet breath. He was jealous? Oh, I can readily understand it. I should have been in his place, Indiana, or rather in his place I would kill myself. For to be your husband, madame, to possess you, to hold you in his arms, and not to deserve you, not to win your heart? is to be the most miserable or the most dastardly of men. "'Oh, heaven, hush!' she cried, putting her hand over his mouth. "'Hush, for you make me guilty. Why do you speak to me of him? Why seek to teach me to curse him, if he should hear you? But I have said no evil of him. I have not authorized you to commit this crime. I do not hate him. I esteem him.' I love him. Say rather that you are horribly afraid of him. 
for the despot has broken your spirit, and fear has sat at your bedside ever since you became that man's prey. You, Indiana, profaned by the touch of that boor, whose iron hand has bowed your head and ruined your life. Poor child, so young and so lovely, to have suffered so horribly. For you cannot deceive me, Indiana, who look at you with other eyes than those of the common herd. I know all the secrets of your destiny, and you cannot hope to hide the truth from me. Let those who look at you because you are lovely say, when they notice your pallor and your melancholy, she is ill, well and good. But I, who follow you with my heart, whose whole soul encompasses you with solicitude and love, I am well aware what your disease is. I know that if God willed it so, if he had given you to me, unlucky wretch that I am, who deserves to have my head broken for having come so late, you would not be ill. On my life, I swear, Indiana, I would have loved you so, that you would have loved me the same, and that you would have blessed the chain that bound us. I would have carried you in my arms to prevent your feet from being wounded. I would have warmed them with my breath. I would have held you against my breast to save you from suffering. I would have given all my blood to make up your lack of it. And, if you had lost sleep with me, I would have passed the night saying soft words to you, smiling on you to restore your courage, weeping the while to see you suffer. When sleep had breathed upon your silken eyelids, I would have brushed them with my lips to close them more softly, and I would have watched over you, kneeling by your bed. I would have forced the air to caress you gently, golden dreams to throw flowers to you. I would have kissed noiselessly your lovely tresses. I would have counted with ecstatic joy the palpitations of your breast. And at your awakening, Indiana, you would have found me at your feet, guarding you like a jealous master, waiting upon you as a slave, watching for your first smile, seizing upon your first thought, your first glance, your first kiss. Enough, enough, said Indiana, agitated and quivering with emotion. You make me faint. And yet, if people died of happiness, Indiana would have died at that moment. Do not speak so to me, she said, to me who am destined never to be happy. Do not depict heaven upon earth to me who am doomed to die. To die, cried Raymond vehemently, seizing her in his arms. You die, Indiana? Die before you have lived, before you have loved? No, you shall not die. I will not let you die, for my life is bound to yours henceforth. You are the woman of whom I dreamed, the purity that I adored, the chimera that always fled from me, the bright star that shone before me and said to me, Go forward in this life of wretchedness, and heaven will send one of its angels to bear you company. You were always destined for me. Your soul was always betrothed to mine, Indiana. Men and their iron laws have disposed of you. They have snatched from me the mate God would have chosen for me, if God did not sometimes forget his promises. But what do we care for men and laws if I love you still in another's arms, if you can still love me, accursed and unhappy as I am in having lost you? I tell you, Indiana, you belong to me. 
you are the half of my heart which has long been struggling to join the other half when you dreamed of a friend on ile bourbon you dreamed of me when at the word husband a sweet thrill of fear and hope passed through your heart it was because i was destined to be your husband do you not recognize me does it not seem to you that we must have met twenty years ago did i not recognize you my angel when you staunched my blood with your veil when you placed your hand on my dying heart to bring back its heat and its life ah i remember distinctly enough when i opened my eyes i said to myself there she is she has been like that in all my dreams pale melancholy and kind-hearted she is my own it is she who is destined to fill my cup with unknown joys and the physical life which returned to me then was your work for we were brought together by no commonplace circumstances you see it was neither chance nor caprice but fatality death which opened the gates of this new life to me it was your husband your master who guided by his destiny brought me all bleeding in his arms and threw me at your feet saying here is something for you and now nothing can part us yes he can part us hastily interposed madame delmare who carried away by her lover's transports had listened to him in ecstasy alas alas you do not know him he is a man who knows nothing of pardon a man who cannot be deceived he will kill you raymond she hid her face in his bosom sobbing raymond embraced her passionately let him come he cried let him come and snatch this moment of happiness from me i defy him stay here indiana here against my heart let it be your refuge and your protection love me and i shall be invulnerable you know that it is not in that man's power to kill me i have already been exposed defenceless to his blows but you my good angel were hovering over me and your wings protected me have no fear i say we shall find a way to turn aside his wrath and now i am not even afraid for you for i shall be at hand and when this master of yours attempts to oppress you i will protect you against him i will rescue you if necessary from his cruel laws would you like me to kill him tell me that you love me and i will be his executioner if you sentence him to death hush hush you make me shudder if you wish to kill someone kill me for i have lived one whole day and i ask nothing more die then but let it be of happiness cried raymond pressing his lips to indiana's but the storm was too severe for so fragile a plant she turned pale put her hand to her heart and swooned at first raymond thought his caresses would call her blood back into her icy veins but in vain did he cover her hand with kisses in vain did he call her by the sweetest names it was not a premeditated swoon of the sort we so often see madame delmar had been seriously ill for a long time and was subject to nervous paroxysms that sometimes lasted whole hours raymond in desperation was reduced to the necessity of calling for help he rang a maid appeared 
but the file she held escaped from her hands and a cry from her throat when she recognized raymond he recovering instantly all his self-possession put his mouth to her ear hush noun i knew that you were here and i came to see you i did not expect to see your mistress who was as i supposed at the ball when i came in i frightened her and she fainted be prudent i am going away raymond fled leaving each of the two women in possession of a secret which was destined to carry despair to the heart of the other end of chapter six